Let us pray. Thank you for your love, O oh God. Your love that covers a multitude of sin. Your love that is stronger than death. Your love that will never let us go. Thank you for your love. And may we experience in heart and mind your love this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Please sing with me. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Not bad for a Sunday morning. <laughs> Jesus loves the little children. And you know who else loves children? Mr. Fred Rogers. The documentary, which I encourage all of you to see, <laughs> Won't You Be My Neighbor? reveals how Mr. Rogers, an ordained Presbyterian minister, so shout out to pastors Carol and Josh this morning. He started a children's show, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, and he used it to teach children and commune with children for over 30 years. Mr. Rogers, for every show, went to his closet, put on his sweater, and changed his shoes at the beginning of every show. He loved children and taught them lessons such as you are special just the way you are. And he taught them that they couldn't fall down a bathtub drain. He wanted the best for children, which is not always the case in our world. Mr. Rogers urged others to remember those who always wanted the best for us throughout our lives from childhood onward. Do you remember someone who always wanted the best for you? Right now, take a moment to bring that person to mind. For me, I remember my second grade teacher, Mrs. Esch. She always wanted the best for children, for me. And I still remember this little song she taught us while she played the piano in the classroom on top of spaghetti, all covered with cheese. I lost my poor meatball when somebody sneezed. It rolled off the table and onto the floor. And then my poor meatball rolled out the door. Anybody else know this song? It rolled in the garden and under a bush, and then my poor meatball was nothing but mush. The mush was as tasty as tasty could be, and early next summer it grew into a tree. The tree was all covered with beautiful moss. It grew lovely meatballs and tomato sauce. So if you eat spaghetti, all covered with cheese. Hold on to your meatball and don't ever sneeze. That was Mrs. Esch. 
whom I saw many, many years later when she was in her 80s, telling me that she just received her doctorate in education. What an inspiration. She always wanted the best for children, for me. And as Mr. Rogers taught, you don't have to do anything sensational to be loved. This is good wisdom for children and adults. In the gospel story, the little daughter of the Syrophoenician woman didn't do anything, literally, to be loved. As she lay in bed with an unclean spirit, but her mother wants the best for her daughter, wants her healing and loves her. She risks rejection based on culture or religion or ethnicity and gender, but is willing to approach Jesus nonetheless and resist the taboos of that day for her child. She is a super advocate for her daughter, just as we all need advocates when we're sick in the hospital. She begs Jesus to cast the demon out of her daughter, and in the end, her sass saves her child. She's the first woman to speak in the Gospel of Mark. And despite initial resistance from Jesus, her faith remains strong and leads to her daughter's healing. This mother and Jesus are the center of attention in this biblical story. We know who the adults are for sure because they get all the actions and the words. Jesus comes across as rude a little bit in his response to the woman when he says, let the children be fed first, for it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. In his statement, children refers to Israel. Jesus is apparently acting out of the culture and norms of the day in his treatment of this Gentile, thus unclean, woman. And in the Jewish setting, Gentiles were sometimes simply referred to as dogs. It's an insult to this woman. But the desperate mother doesn't respond angrily, but rather with, Sir, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Some Markan scholars suggest that some significant change in Jesus' ethnic attitude occurs at this precise moment in his mission. Some say that the woman's response alters Jesus' view of his mission among the Gentiles, and her clever, faith-filled response leads to her child's healing. No fanfare, no fancy razzle-dazzle, as Calvin Seminary professor John Rotman puts it, but the demon is cast out of the child. So when the mother goes home, she finds the child lying on the bed and the demon gone. Great news, isn't it? Well, the main characters in this story, the mother and Jesus, are active and speak. But even when the healing comes, the child is not heard from, nor is there any action from her. She is a passive figure in the story to be acted upon, and she has no agency. Literally, there isn't one active verb associated with this little girl. Everyone else speaks, but the child. Jesus speaks, the mother speaks, the crowd speaks. Even the mute man's tongue is released and he speaks plainly. But the little daughter 
the child never says a word. This leads to my question for today. Are we silencing the children? Are there any children in Duke Chapel this morning? Is there any, anybody out there? Can you give me a wave wherever you might be? There, there are a few. There are a few children. We want to see you. We want to hear you. Do we ever ask their opinion about our worship services? About what they think about our white albs and stoles? About our blue robes? Do we ever ask them about our sermons? And I'll brace my one for that one if my son is an indication of what's possible. Because even in the artwork, on the worship bulletin cover, if you take a look at that, we see the child in this biblical story on the periphery of the so-called real action, implying the marginalization of children. And in another scene of Lindbergh's artwork, when Jesus actually acknowledges the plea of the woman and heals the daughter, the daughter is actually nowhere to be found in that image healed but not heard or seen at all. It is a visual depiction and indictment of how often children's voices and perspectives are muted and their bodies made invisible. If we never hear them, we may come to view them as insignificant because sound signifies presence and importance. If we never hear certain sounds, particular voices, we will never recognize the significance of certain people or cultures and at its worst, not even recognize their humanity. So coming to voice matters. You have a voice and metaphorically it means you have an identity. But without a voice, you may be viewed as having no identity and be considered a non-being, even non-existent. Your body is there, but it's passive, not active. The body is healed, even in our story, but the body is not a healing agent. Just a body lying on a bed or a sidewalk or in a jail. There, but no one cares to hear your voice, especially the voice of children, including the Syrophoenician woman's daughter. And when children are silenced, they can become victims of physical, psychological, and sexual abuse. We've seen it. To be given a voice, as Jesus does for the mute man, is to be set free. If this is true, then although this little girl is healed, she is not yet totally free because she is silent. And throughout the Gospel of Mark, there are other children who never say a word. In chapter 5, the daughter of a synagogue ruler is said to not be dead, but sleeping. She's healed. She gets up and walks around, but she never speaks. In chapter 9, another parent serves as an advocate and speaks out on behalf of their child who has a spirit that doesn't allow him to speak. But even after Jesus heals him and the boy stands up, there is no sound, no words from this child. When we silence the voices of children, it is sin. 
And when we don't hear their voices, our lives are less than they could be. I've always said that I'd want a child to pray for me anytime over a bishop. Who wouldn't want to have a child innocently pray, dear God, thank you for the baby brother, but what I prayed for was a puppy. So genuine, so honest, so transparent, so faith-filled. These are the voices we need, children's voices. Mr. Rogers was not just an advocate, a voice for children, but he listened to their voices deeply. He had a genuine respect for the dignity of every child. And although children are still developing, they are fully human, made in the image of God, deserving of our respect and gentle care, rather than being seen as objects to be silenced and abused and locked up. Are we silencing the children? Mr. Rogers didn't. When we met, when he met a 14-year-old boy whose cerebral palsy left him sometimes unable to walk or talk, Mr. Rogers asked that boy to pray for him. This boy was shocked by this gesture because he was normally the object of prayers but no one had ever asked him to pray for them. So this boy thought he would give it a try and pray for Mr. Rogers because he thought Mr. Rogers must be close to God and if Mr. Rogers likes him, he must be okay. After it all happened, Mr. Rogers was complimented on doing this and lifting the boy's self-esteem. And Mr. Rogers responded in this way. He said, I didn't ask him for his prayers for him, I asked for me. I asked him because I think that anyone who has gone through challenges like that must be very close to God. I asked him because I wanted his intercession. A child may be a part of today's gospel story in the lectionary. Children may even be a part of our story and lives. But do they have a voice? Do they speak? Are they heard? Jesus said, whoever becomes humble like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And he adds, let the little children come to me and do not stop them. For it is to such as these that the kingdom of heaven belongs. But if they come, will we listen to them? Malala Yousafzai, a daughter of a teacher. She was 10 years old in 2007 when the Taliban seized control of the area she was living in in Northwest Pakistan. The following year, the Taliban banned all girls from going to school. And Malala, this little girl, began blogging for the BBC about life under the Taliban and her desire to return to school. Eventually her family, and they had to flee from their home as the, the National Army was battling with the Taliban. And eventually the, the National Army was pretty much successful, but the Taliban still controlled many of the rural areas. 
And all through this time, Malala continued her public struggle for education rights. And in 2012, when she was 15 years old, some masked gunmen boarded her school bus and shot her in the head. Thankfully, she survived. And along with her family, they moved to, to England, where she returned to school in 2013 and continued her advocacy for girls' rights to education. And in 2014, at the age of 17, Malala became the youngest winner of the Nobel Peace Prize. When children come, the world can change. I wonder if sometimes we are afraid to listen to children because we are afraid to change. But if we shut children out, we shut God out. Because not only does Jesus love the little children, God came into the world as a child. So don't ever underestimate children because one saved the world.